Hey folks, welcome to Law of Self-Defense. I am, of course, attorney Andrew Branca. And first of all, I trust everyone is enjoying a safe and merry holiday season. Second, many thanks to all of you who have offered best wishes and prayers for my wife, Emily, who just about a week ago underwent surgery for breast cancer. She's currently recovering from that procedure. The surgery went very well. The recovery is going as smoothly as we could possibly have hoped for. And the cancer itself was detected very early. So we continue to have every expectation of a positive outcome. And finally, I'd like to share some quick observations on the conviction of Kim Potter on two counts of manslaughter over the shooting death of Dante Wright. I realize that the conviction is now a week in the past, but feel obliged to write up my closing thoughts on the case, if only to close the circle on this trial on which we all invested considerable time and effort. And as the title of today's content reveals, it's my professional opinion that the conviction of Potter on charges of manslaughter is a blatant miscarriage of justice based on the fact that manslaughter in this case properly required proof beyond a reasonable doubt of reckless conduct, that reckless conduct in this case properly requires the conscious disregard by Potter of an unjustifiable risk of death or serious bodily injury to Dante Wright, and that the jury was presented with exactly zero evidence that Potter consciously disregarded the risk that resulted in Wright's death. Indeed, it was uncontested throughout the trial that Potter never even knew she had a gun in her hand during her encounter with Wright, and one cannot consciously disregard a risk that one does not know exists. To the extent that Potter ought to bear responsibility for unintentionally killing Wright, that responsibility is at worst based on negligence, the unknowing creation of an unjustified risk, and subject her to merely civil liability. Absent a conscious disregard of risk, for which no evidence exists in this case, her conduct cannot qualify as recklessness raising criminal liability. Before I jump into things, I do want to briefly mention an exceptional opportunity for your consideration. Perhaps once every year or two, we do one of our full-day Law of Self-Defense Advanced Self-Defense Law classes. This is a full-day class. It's the equivalent of a law school seminar on self-defense law. It's applicable to all 50 states, and it's taught in my usual plain English style without any confusing legalese. This class is taught live by me, streamed to you at your computer using Zoom. And there's plenty of opportunity for live Q&A with me during the class. On the rare occasions when we do one of our law self-defense advanced classes, they invariably fill up almost immediately after we announce the date. And we've announced the date for this one. It's taking place on Saturday, January 8th. 2022. That's only about a week and a half away, folks. And again, we only do this class once every year or two. So if you've ever wanted a true mastery of the law of self-defense, here's the best, really among the only opportunities to grab that expertise with both hands. Seats are already going fast. So if you're at all interested, I urge you to grab your slot today by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. Okay, so to circle back, again, to the extent that Potter ought to bear responsibility for unintentionally killing Wright, that responsibility is at worst based on negligence, the unknowing creation of an unjustified risk, and subject her to merely civil liability. Absent a conscious disregard of risk, for which there's no evidence in this case, her conduct cannot qualify as recklessness raising criminal liability. 
This distinction between negligence raising merely civil liability that Potter should have known she was creating an unjustified risk of death and recklessness raising criminal liability that Potter did know she was creating an unjustified risk of death is extremely old and well-established law and found throughout the relevant Minnesota law, including the jury instructions provided the jury in this trial and the relevant case law on recklessness in the context of both manslaughter and firearms use. With respect to manslaughter in the first degree, the relevant jury instruction requires, in relevant part, that the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the risk created by Potter was one, quote, she is aware of and disregards, close quote. A person acts recklessly if, under the totality of the circumstances, she commits a conscious or intentional act in connection with the handling or use of a firearm that creates a substantial and unjustifiable risk that she is aware of and disregards. Similarly, the jury instruction regarding manslaughter in the second degree requires, in relevant part, that the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the risk created by Potter was one she, quote, consciously took, close quote. Under Minnesota law, Whoever, by culpable negligence, whereby she creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes a chance of causing death or great bodily harm to another person, causes the death of another, is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree. In terms of case law on this question of recklessness, an illustrative Minnesota Supreme Court decision on this issue is State v. Frost. You can find that at lawofselfdefense.com slash Frost. Frost quotes the well-respected legal treatise, Wharton's Criminal Law, which provides a concise and well-established distinction between mere civil negligence on the one hand and criminal recklessness on the other. You can go right to State v. Frost to read the entirety of this definition yourself. Again, that's at lawofselfdefense.com slash Frost, but I'll share with you the uh, relevant portion right here. Quote, Recklessness and negligence may be defined in the following manner. A person acts recklessly when he consciously disregards a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the element of an offense exists or will result from his conduct. A person acts negligently when he should be aware of a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the element of an offense exists or will result from his conduct. Each actor creates a risk of harm. The reckless actor is aware of the risk and disregards it. The negligent actor is not aware of the risk, but should have been aware of it. Close quote. In this case, the prosecution never argued that Potter was aware that she had a gun in her hand and therefore was aware that she was creating a risk of death or serious bodily injury and consciously disregarded that risk. Worse, during the state's rebuttal, meaning after the defense no longer had any opportunity to make a counter-argument to the jury, the prosecution misinformed the jury that they had no legal obligation to prove that Potter was actually aware that she was holding a gun, and thus they had no obligation to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Potter was aware that she had created a risk of death or serious bodily injury and disregarded that risk. The state thus told the jury that they could find Potter guilty of manslaughter based on recklessness, even when the prosecution had not proven beyond a reasonable doubt that she had consciously disregarded the risk that caused the death. That's not the law of manslaughter and not the law of recklessness. 
Now, what might conscious disregard of risk have looked like in this case? Imagine that, hypothetically, Potter had found herself in a struggle alongside her fellow officers to lawfully arrest Dante Wright, went to deploy her taser, and suddenly realized that she'd accidentally left the taser back at the station house. She then intentionally decides to draw her Glock 17 pistol not to inflict deadly force, but merely to pretend that it was her taser in order to bluff Wright into ceasing his resistance. Then, in the full knowledge that she had an actual gun in her hand, something about the struggle induces Potter to unintentionally fire the weapon, killing Wright. Arguably, such a knowing deployment of a firearm under those conditions would constitute creating an unjustifiable risk that Potter is aware of and disregards as required for manslaughter in the first degree, or the creation of an unjustified risk that Potter consciously took as required for manslaughter in the second degree. But no evidence of such knowing disregard or conscious risk-taking was presented in this trial. In effect, then, the state created out of whole cloth a novel theory of manslaughter that has no foundation in Minnesota law or the law of any other state, presumably because the actual evidence in this case failed to support the actual Minnesota law on reckless manslaughter. Now, perhaps there is merit to such a theory of manslaughter, and perhaps there is not, but that is a decision for the Minnesota legislature, not for the prosecution in a particular criminal trial of an individual defendant. Further, Judge Regina Chu, presiding over this trial, failed in her fundamental duty to ensure that the jury was properly instructed in the relevant law when she effectively permitted the state to give the jury improper instruction on the law and without correction from the bench, leaving a naive jury to accept that misstatement as actual Minnesota law from which they could find guilt. The jury is properly the finder of fact, but the law is defined for them by the court. Leaving it up to the jury to decide the legal issue of whether recklessness requires a knowing disregard of the risk in question is a fundamental failure of the trial court, an act of violence against due process of law and a miscarriage of justice. It must be noted that although the defense team in this trial did a reasonably good and often excellent job on cross-examination of state witnesses and direct examination of defense witnesses, attorney Earl Gray fell far short of excellence in his closing argument, where he oddly chose to expend considerable time on the not compelling argument of superseding causes instead of the key to the entire case of the absence of intentional disregard of known risk. That said, the defense did object after the state's rebuttal to the prosecution's claim that they need not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Potter knew she had a gun in her hand in order to establish the knowing disregard of risk needed for the recklessness required for conviction on either manslaughter charge, an objection, by the way, to which Judge Chu oddly chose to not directly respond, but at least that critical issue is preserved for appeal. Nevertheless, as I've often noted in the past, appeals are for losers, with all the legal presumptions now favoring the verdict of guilt rather than favoring the defendant's innocence and incurring possibly years of time, which Potter will spend in prison, and huge sums of legal funds, which Potter will need to provide from her own resources. 
Potter does have one possible advantage on appeal that most criminal appellants do not, however. In most cases, a successful appeal does not mean that the defendant has suddenly been found not guilty. It merely means that the defendant is entitled to a new trial, one in which they might very well be convicted again. In the case of Potter, however, if her conviction is reversed because of the misstatement of criminal recklessness allowed by Judge Chu in this trial, a second trial, probably also presided over by Judge Chu, by the way, would presumably require a correct instruction on recklessness, and it would not seem that a trial on a correct version of reckless manslaughter would be viable on the facts of this case, given the absence of any evidence of knowing disregard of risk. Okay, folks, that's all I have for you on this topic at the moment. Uh, a final note, I expect we'll be up to our normal rate of productivity prior to mid-January, but content may continue to be somewhat intermittent. Until then, it all depends on the circumstances on the home front. Until next time, remember, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun, so I'm hard to kill, my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. And you might do that by taking advantage of our upcoming Saturday, January 8th, Law of Self-Defense Advanced class. Learn more about that at lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. All right, folks, until next time, stay safe. And I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense.